Would you join me tonight in the book of the Revelation of Jesus Christ, chapter 1. Revelation chapter 1. What a, what a, what a full book. This book of Revelation is full. I, I was, uh, I just have to tell you, I took a potato to class with those kids on Monday, a baker. Now, it didn't happen to be a Malin baker, but it was close. And I asked them to write down all of the things that they could think of mathematical about that baker. Uh, and you know how people are when they're asked a question sometimes that they don't have any idea where the teacher's headed, their minds go blank. So I started tossing this potato up in the air and I said, oh, wait, wait, you know. And then they kind of dead again and they start thinking of length and circumference and oval and things like that and then I start going mm, 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 and they didn't get it and I reached over on the teacher's desk and he had one of these little uh, things the kids kick around uh, hacky sack there we go hacky sack and, I went, yeah, yeah, yeah. and mm, mm, density I said that to say this this book is dense it's not a hacky sack dance. It is potato dance. <laughs> I mean, you can't go like that. It is mm, firm. Every word, line, chapter, verse is just full and running over about the things that be of Christ. And it's so enjoyable. Uh, you just don't have to read very far. It, the, the chapters are like Reader's Digest stories, you know. You can sit down and very quickly get, i got to stop and think about that. Yeah. There should be some silas in here that we find in the Psalms. Stop and think about it. Stop and think about it. Well, just put a few in, because <laughs> there's some room to think in this book about the revelation of Jesus Christ. And I thought for sure we'd get through verse 5 last week, and we did not. So we're going to try to get through verse 5 tonight. And uh, I've been talking to several about how slow we're going through here. I said, my goodness, I thought we'd be a little faster, but I guess it doesn't matter. Uh, if we just get old and finish it up, it's okay. And if the Lord should return, that's okay. And I guess it's just okay. So here in the book of Revelation chapter 1, beginning with verse 4, I'd like to read down through verse 16 and then finish up the latter part of verse 5. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, the ruler of the kings of the earth. Unto him... This, we're going to spend some time on this. Unto him that loved us. Now, I was thinking there this afternoon in my chair, I think a whole lot more about the love of Christ for me than I do about him giving his blood for me. I mean, we just, we, we're drawn to that. We're drawn to the love of Christ. It, it just, and we want to spend some time because there's some reasons for it. Drawn to the love of Christ. And then he goes on and 
this this verse here, verse five, the latter part, uh, and he loved us unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Now I relish and delight in that. It I I delight in the the sacrifice of Christ, but oh, the love of God, the love of Christ for me. And we want to look at some verses. All right, verse six, and the results of that, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father. It's no wonder that these, the uh, hymnist wrote about worms being promoted to sons of God. Right there. I just am just thinking about hath made us kings and priests. From where we came from to that is an eternity. Unto God and his Father. Now that's, that's who we're kings and priests to. We're not just out here freelancing. We have an object of it. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds. Hmm, I can't wait to get there. <laughs> to here and to there. Every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. Saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother. I like that. This was given to a brother in Christ. This message. This was not the super Christian. This is just a brother. And that's, that's a lot to be said, just a brother in Christ. But... He's just, he's a brother and the Lord blessed him and the Lord blesses his people for reading this book that John was blessed with. It's not without blessing. He got a blessing for having it given to him and we get a blessing for reading it and hearing it and doing it. We get a blessing. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation, and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ was on the isle that is called Patmos. Now you find a map you can find on the isle of Patmos today. It's there. It's a real place. For the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was here exiled because I was a preacher of righteousness. Now if he'd have been a preacher like many today, he had not been bothered. But if he was a preacher of righteousness, a preacher of righteousness only in Christ, that's why he is exiled. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as a trumpet. Have you ever been somewhere and heard something that just seemed out of place? And then you found out what it was? I was elk hunting one time. First time I ever went really elk hunting to see elk. And I sat down and heard a train behind me. And I'm out in the woods. It's a train. It sounds just like a train. What in the world? And I turned around and here's over a hundred head of elk running through rocks. I mean, I, if I hadn't turned around, I just thought, well, there's a train, but I don't know how it could be here. It was just that sound. Well, here, John says, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I'm Alpha and Omega, the first and the last, and 
What thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. Now, he's this way. He hears this great voice like a trumpet saying that verse, verse 11, and then it says, And I turned to see the voice that spake to me, and being turned... I saw seven golden candlesticks. So he's there listening to this trumpet go off, wondering what it is, heard these words, and then turning and being turned. Isn't that an interesting comment? He says, And I turned to see the voice that spake to me, and being turned. Now, he's turning, but he's being turned. <laughs> I saw seven golden candlesticks in the midst of the... Seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot. You know who what he saw? He saw a priest, a great high priest. The priest, our priest. Clothed with a garment down to the foot. Girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were a flame of fire. His eyes like unto fine brass, as if they had burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying, Unto me, fear not, I am the first and the last. And we're going to stop there. As we move through here, though, we see so mass, so much mass, so much density here. It's just compact with comments about the Lord Jesus Christ. It isn't history. It's just comments about his character and being and person and power and might and strength and glory and praise. All these things so compact put together. There's no room for anything else but praise unto God. And in this verse 5, we find the Lord Jesus Christ is mentioned from Jesus Christ. And we looked at that last week. We've all, I'm sure all of us, have looked at this from time to time about the name Jesus and the name Christ or the, the title Christ and seeing how it's brought out. They shall call his name. You shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. That's why we go by the name of Jesus. He's Savior. He's the Savior of his people. He shall save his people from their sins. And then Christ takes us back when he was. Before the foundation of the world, before the beginning of time, he was in the covenant of grace, of mercy, with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it was there before time began that he was de it was determined what he would do in the covenant of grace. Forever eternal past, it was determined what he would do. And his part was to be our priest, faithful high priest, shepherd, king. All those glorious titles we find out about the Lord Jesus Christ. And here he is, pictured in words for us to view. As John was blessed, so are we blessed in reading those verses. But it says here he was the faithful witness. And we, find, we found out that, that just, he, just, he just tells the truth. It may bother people. But it just tells the truth. There's nothing better than hearing the truth. And God is gracious to us to allow us to hear the truth. 
to hear the truth about God, to hear the truth about our sin, to hear the truth about what it took to take care of our sin, to hear the truth we're sinners before God. He's the angry one at people for sinning against him. The fall, all about that, the truth of the matter. Don't put candy coat on it. It's truth. Don't try to make it seem better. Let's not dummy down the gospel. Let's just leave it alone. Leave it like it is. And that's the way God is going to deal with his people. When he's lifted up, he will draw his people unto him. That's a promise we can take. Now it says there he's the first begotten from the dead, even though there were those raised in the Old Testament, they were raised by the power of Jesus Christ. He's the promised one to be raised from the tomb. And he's the only one that came forth from the tomb, from the grave, with power over sin and power over death and power over the consequences of sin, that being the second death. Others came forth from the tomb. They had no power over sin. They're still sinners. But Jesus Christ came forth with power over every enemy of the church. And we notice here that he is also the prince of the kings of the earth. He is king of kings and lord of lords. And he is our king as much as he is king over all the earth. I love that. He rules the earth with a rod of iron. And he is king over his people individually with the same power. Then it says in that verse of scripture, unto him that loved us. Now, before grace, we just wallow in this and make it so, oh, it's terrible kind of love that we have without the grace of God. That's not the love of God. The love of God is spoken of in Scripture, and we're going to go over there, but turn with me to Jeremiah 31. Jeremiah 31. This passage of Scripture shares with us with regard to the love of God, the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, that this is not a passing fancy on the part of God, that he just didn't decide in time that he was going to love a people, but he shares with us here in Jeremiah 31, he shares with us there that his love has been an eternal love. He has had a love for a people, for his church from eternity, before the foundation of the world, before Adam was created, before Adam sinned. And it's no wonder that we read there in the book of the Romans, as Paul was used to write that, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It took that love that he had for us before the foundation of the world. Man, we are wicked, wicked sinners against God in our nature. And God, before the world began, before the foundation of the world, in the covenant of grace, in eternity, we can't even fix a time on it because there is none. We can't even fix a time in eternity for it because there is none. But here it says... Jeremiah chapter 31, Jeremiah 31, and there in verse 3, these wonderful verses, this wonderful verse, these so delightful words, this hymn that God gives to our soul, this poem, 
this love poem that God gives to our soul to realize, to cause us to know in our heart and in our mind that God's love for us is not a passing fancy, that it is eternal, and they had an eternal love for his church, and it never has died, never dwindled, never dropped. It has always been the same. It's an eternal love. It's perfect love. Perfect love casteth out fear. This is a perfect love. We are imperfect lovers, even towards God. Our love rises and falls. My goodness, some days we wonder how in the world could we even be saved? We don't even think of God in love like we should. But he has not changed. And his love is not altered by circumstances or events. His love is a constant. Jeremiah chapter 31 and verse 3, this is how he can say over there, He's a faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead and the prince of the kings of the earth unto him that loved us. All those statements are reminders of his love for us, but he has written about it here. Jeremiah 31 verse 3, The Lord hath appeared of old unto me, saying, Yea, I have loved thee with an everlasting love. I can just rest in that. He's loved me with an everlasting, even when I was unlovable and out of sorts with him, even to the point of being enmity against God and raising my fist against him. He had an eternal, abiding, everlasting, unchanging love for me and for all his people. And that is why he bathes us in his blood, washes us and looses us from our sins in his own blood. I've loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness have I drawn thee. Now, we have, there's a book Dr. Seuss wrote about the northbound Zach and the southbound Zach, I think it is, or something like that. Is uh, He has some strange names for things. But they're going down the same exact path, and they meet like this, and neither one is budging an inch. No one steps to the right or to the left. They just, and they're stuck. And they stand there for ages because they're stuck. They won't step aside. And you know what? We're going through life just like that, stuck where we are. And if it wasn't for with loving kindness, I have drawn you, brought you out of your stuck condition, we'd be stuck until eternity. And then we'd really be stuck. It wasn't for the grace of God. We'd just be stuck. He draws us with loving kindness. His love for us is eternal. He has children in mind. Children in mind. His children in mind. He's adopted them. His son's dying for them. His, he's adopted them. One preacher I heard one time says he can have sheep any way we can legally have them. There's a lost one. He found him. Have him born into his flock. We must be born again. And on and on it goes, just the same way. He buys them. He can buy a sheep. And he bought us. He deals with us just like we can deal with sheep. And we're his sheep from eternity. Never, ever, ever, ever was any of his people ever goats. They have been sheep, lost sheep, 
going astray and not looking for the master, but he draws us with loving kindness to himself. Why? Because he has an everlasting love. And turn with me to John 17. Now this, this verse of scripture will just, it just comfort you. I was so overwhelmed. This is one of them good verses, as if there isn't a book full of them. <laughs> John 17 and verse 23 and 24. Notice this now. This is the Lord Jesus Christ's great high priestly prayer, and we're about to see him in the book of Revelation as the high priest. These are the words of intercession on our behalf. This is the high priest praying for his people. And he says here in this great high priestly prayer, John 17, verse 23, it says, I and them and thou and me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. I, I'm, I'm, my doors are blown off. <laughs> Thou shalt love me as thou, what's it say? And hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Eternal in the heavens love, forever and ever love. And then, Father, I will that they also whom thou hast given me be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And he loves his people like he loves his son. And this glory is what we see in the book of Revelation chapter 1. When John turned around and saw at one as the son of man. Glory to the point he fell down as dead. So what kind of love? the love that God has for his son, eternal love before the foundation love, that's the kind he has. Now, Deuteron lest we be puffed up that we should be loved because we're lovable, turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 7. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, we find that Moses is sharing the words of the Lord with a people that represent the church. Now, there was a whole bunch a large percentage, maybe 95%, I don't know, of Jews that had no concept about God. He was just part of their religion. He was just who we take these valuable animals and sacrifice to. If the Lord really cared for us, he wouldn't make us pay so dearly for our sacrifices and they got to offering animals that were halt and lame and maimed. And when you start doing that, you're sharing with the world what kind of God you have. He's halt and maimed. He can't get the job done. But when you were offering a sacrifice that depicted perfection, you're telling the world what kind of God, you have lamb. All right, Deuteronomy chapter 7. Deuteronomy chapter 7. Now, the Lord didn't love us because we were more in number, just like he shares with Israel. This is the reason that he loved his people. It wasn't because of earthly, fleshly ideas. 
We didn't. <laughs> Today, sorry to say, most people fall in love over looks. Am I right? Yeah. If he's good looking, he can be loved. If she's good looking, she can be loved. Now, that's not why God loved his people. Because they were not good looking. They were rebels, rebellious, fists in the sky. Here he says, there's a reason that he loved his people. John, Deuteronomy 7 verse 7 says, The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than any people, for ye were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto our fathers, hath the Lord brought you out of the mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of the bondman from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. I have a promise to keep. That's why he loved them. I have a promise to keep. And that's why he loves the church. I have a promise to keep. Before the world began, he promised to redeem a people. And he has a promise to keep. Now, it's not out of force that he's going to keep this promise. It's out of love that he's going to keep that promise. I've made a promise to the fathers. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit made a promise among themselves. And that's why he loved his people with an eternal love. Not because they were greater, fancier, better looking. All of the things that we think about, he says, I loved you because I made a promise about you. I love you because I chose you before the foundation of the world in Christ Jesus. Now, turn with me, if you would, to the book of uh, Malachi, chapter 1. Now, God has distinguishing love. He has distinguishing love. And by that I mean, there's some he loves. He distinguishes his love. Now, there's nothing wrong with it, because men, we do too. There's one we love more than anyone else. That's our wives. And wives... Distinguishing love is the same. We love someone more than anyone else. That's our husbands. We distinguish. Now God distinguishes too. Now notice here in Malachi chapter 1, the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, saith the Lord. Yet ye say, wherein hast thou loved us? Was not Esau Jacob's brother, saith the Lord? Yet I Loved Jacob. And I hated Esau. Now please, don't translate that incorrectly and say he loved him less. That's pitiful. But it's being done. It doesn't mean he loved him less. It means he has distinguishing love. All God has to do with, the, with the, those without Christ is leave them alone. And he is angry with the wicked daily. 
And it says here that he has distinguishing love, and that is, I love Jacob. Now, Jacob is a picture of the church. Jacob is a picture of the chosen seed. Jacob is a picture of our Savior, in fact. Jesus was the chosen seed. He had other brothers, but he's the chosen seed. He's the one chosen by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit to be our Redeemer. God has distinguishing love in his Son, and he loves his children like he loves his Son. And he says here with regard to Jacob, a scoundrel and a rapscallion. You read his life. You don't want him as a neighbor. You're glad he went down there into the other part of the world. You're glad he left the neighborhood. Because not only does his name mean supplanter, he practiced it. He was a rascal. He was a rascal. Now, this distinguishing love, we're going to get over to the book of Romans and read that passage with regard to the love God had for Jacob. And it's going to say, is God unrighteous? And that is what the Holy Spirit is saying. Don't think God is wrong for doing this. Don't think God, don't be angry at God for doing this. Now, my wife was in a church one time back in Colorado. And the preacher said, now elections like this, there's a whole bunch of birds on a fence, blackbirds. And God comes along and knocks a bunch off. And that is exactly incorrect. There couldn't be anything more incorrect. There's a bunch of dead blackbirds on the ground. They got shot in Adam. And they're dead to the core. And Almighty God, because he loved them before the foundation of the world, went by and picked up the ones he wanted and put on the fence and gave them life. And that's the only reason they got on the fence. He doesn't flick them off. He lifts them up. That's what God does. His love picks us up out of a horrible pit. His love picks us up from death. His love picks us up from hell. His love picks us up from sin. His love picks us up from ourself and from Adam and places us in Christ. And we have our first life. And we then know what God's love is. He picks up dead people and causes them to have life in Christ Jesus. Now, he picked up Jacob. There's another rapscallion we find as an example of the church so often. I've used him so often. And he was a mean man. I mean hateful mean, murderously mean. He was a killer in his heart and practiced it with his life. And that was Saul of Tarsus. He was... We'd say he's worse than Jacob. Jacob just didn't do quite outside what was in his heart. Saul did. And God said, there's a dead man. I purpose to give life before the foundation of the world. And I'm going to do it at the appointed time. And Paul wrote about it and he says, in the fullness of time, God demonstrated his love to me. In the fullness of time. When it was the right time. Now, notice there in, in Micah, it says, I hated Esau, and I laid his mountains and his heritage waste for the dragons, dragons of the wilderness. 
Esau, not only in person. God says, I hated Esau, but he hated the whole Esau thing. What did Esau do? Traded off his birthright for a mess of lentil soup. He is religious, but he will trade what God gave to him for a nothing. He is natural man, demonstrates natural man tendency. He'll trade off his soul for his own religion. Now, jump over with me to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 9. This whole is brought up again, and the love of God. Don't ever look at God's love negative. Don't ever look at these verses negative. Think of them as the most positive thing that could ever happen to anybody. Unless God's love, which is centered in the covenant of grace before the foundation of the world, is directed towards individuals, there will not be one raised from their old life to a new. We will not raise up ourselves. We can't. God has demonstrated the highest quality of love and eternal unchanging love that he determined before the world began to exercise in time, and that is the worst lot of all. I will demonstrate my love for and I declare it now. Jacobs, I've loved you. Wherever you are. And I'll find you because of my love. And I'll regenerate you because of my love. And I'll draw you to myself because of my love. And in so doing, what did he say over there in the book of Revelation chapter 1 verse 5? I'll loose you from your sins in my own blood. My love is so dramatic. Now, Romans chapter 9, verse 7. Let's just knock this in there. Jacob was better. He served the Lord in time. Uh, he changed his mind. Notice what God said about this whole thing. The excuses, the puny excuses that people will bring up about why God loved Jacob, and God just knocks him in the head. Before they were born or could do any good or evil. God said, I love Jacob. It wasn't what he did. It's what God did. And if God had not done this, he'd have been as bad or worse than Esau. He'd have never turned around. He'd have never left that land where he was so rich in. God is so gracious to Jacob to demonstrate his love. And he just didn't do it to Esau. Not that he didn't, not that he loved him less. He says, Jacob have I loved. Esau is in the lot that will wail at the end. They're without Christ, without hope, and without God in the world. All right. Romans chapter 9, verse 7, the scriptures say. Neither because they are the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God. Well, I wish, I wish we could just underline that and put it out in a banner. <laughs> I'm not anti-Semitic. 
But please, those people in Israel today are not the children of God any more than the Muslims until God works a work of grace in them. They have no inheritance. The scripture says, with regard to the everlasting or to the old covenant, they refused me and I regarded them not. And then he shows the world his everlasting covenant. He shows his people the everlasting covenant. Now notice here. It says there, neither because they were the seed of Abraham are they all children, but in Isaac shall thy seed be called. That is, they which are the children of the flesh, these are not the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted for the seed. For this is the word of promise. As this time, at this time will I come and Sarah shall have a son. Well, we could go back over there to the book of Genesis and read about Sarah and Abraham and they didn't have any children and he picked a, a neighbor boy and said he's going to inherit and nope. Well, they decided they'd raise up a son in the flesh and they did and they got a son. God says he's not going to inherit. No, no, no. That's the typical way that people will get religion is by having a fleshly experience. He says, now this baby that's going to be the real demonstration of my children is going to come by a special birth. That lady is going to be 90 years old. And she's going to bear a son. And everybody's going to know she's past the time. This is not the normal everyday son. It's from above. All right. Goes on here and says, and not the, only this, but when Rebecca also had conceived by one, even our father Isaac, for the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil, that the purpose of God, according to election, might stand not of works, but of him that calleth. What a glorious word. It is wonderful to find out that even after all the years of work, that's not what saved us. It's not works. It's of him that calleth. It's in his hands. It's in his hands. He's the savior. He's the high priest. He's the chief shepherd. He's the great shepherd. He's the good shepherd. He's the giver of life. And here it says, For the children being not yet born, neither having done any good or evil. Verse 12, It was said unto her, The elder shall serve the younger. As it is written, Jacob have I loved, but Esau have I hated. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? God forbid. What's that saying? Don't get angry with God. Don't get it. Read it anyway. <laughs> Just read it anyway. Don't stop reading God's great works of grace. Read it anyway. Maybe someday God will give you a blessing in it. Read it anyway. Don't get upset with God. Don't say God would never do that. He did. It's what he said he did. He did it. God loved a people with an everlasting love, and those people 
will meet him in glory. And Jesus says, not one of them shall be lost. I have loved you with an everlasting love. I have demonstrated that everlasting love. I have washed you, loosed you from your sins in my own blood. It took my blood to loose you from the, the, the bloodsuckers of sin. Leeches, leeches. I got a tick on me one time. And I, I was just worried. I was a kid, a little kid. And I was just worried, sick, what in the world? How am I going to get rid of this? You know what my mama did? She just put some rubbing alcohol in a little bottle and stuck that right over the top of that old tick. And before you knew it, he just backed right out. He couldn't stand it. Couldn't stand it. Couldn't stand him. Aren't you glad God comes along with rubbing alcohol in a jar and backs us out of ourself? My goodness. It may smart for a bit, but it sure saved our life. <laughs> he backs us out, backs us up by his great love wherewith he loved us. In that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so, as we find the account here, verse 15, And he saith to Moses, I'll have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. I'll have compassion on whom I'll have compassion. And the church says, Oh, amen. Thank you, good Lord. Thank you, good Lord. I realize left to myself, I could never love you. Now, why do we love him? Because he first loved us. That's what the scriptures say. We don't love him until he demonstrates his great love to us. And then we love him. John, it tells us there in uh, first, John, uh, first John. But turn with me, if you would, back to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah 49. The love of God. God's love surpasses a mother's love. And that's what it tells us right here. Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 49. This great love of God. He loved the people that were unlovable. Drew them with cords of love out of Lodibar and brought them to his great love feast. Here in the book of Isaiah chapter 49, we read about a mama. Before we read that verse, I want to back up to verse 14. Isaiah 49 verse 14, his love. Isaiah 49 verse 14, the scriptures say, But Zion said, the Lord hath forsaken me, and my Lord hath forgotten me. Can a woman forget her sucking child, that she should not have compassion on the son of her womb? Yes, yea, they may forget. Yet will I not forget thee. Behold, I have graven thee upon the palms of my hands. Thy walls are continually before me. Thy children shall make haste, thy destroyers, and they that make thee waste shall go forth of thee. Can a mother forget her sucking child? Yes, the Bible says that. It can happen. But I have graven you on the palms of my hands. Now the high priest in the Old Testament had several symbols of who he went into the Holy of Holies for. And the Lord Jesus Christ had the names of his people graven on the palms of his hands when he had nails driven through them. He knew exactly who he was dying for. 
and he made no qualms about it. Jesus said, I lay down my life for the sheep. That's what he said. He had no qualms about it. Now, if the Lord's love, if the Lord loved everybody equally, what did it benefit us? And if the Lord's death was for everybody equally, what did it benefit? And pretty soon we got to the point that the only hope we have is hopefully someday we'll wake up enough to accept it because it's all equal to everyone. Well, it's not all equal to everyone. He has distinguishing love. He has distinguishing blood. So can a mother, yes, but I'll never forget you. Now, herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. 1 John chapter 4. Would you turn there with me? First John chapter 4. And verse 10. Oh my. Oh, I love Jesus. Mm-mm. That's not important. What's it say here? Herein is love, not that we loved God. No. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Now that's love. That he would send his son to take care of the sin issue that was between us and God. Now that's love. And it does say here in 1 John, we love him only because. And I added a couple words there, but it's the truth. Only because he first loved us. He's the only one that could give us love enough to respond to God. No man could, our parents couldn't, our best friends couldn't, preacher couldn't give us enough yearning, love for God to get the job done. We love him because he first loved us. Next time, we'll look at that fountain opened where it says there in Revelation chapter 1 verse 5, unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood. I, I delight and relish and read and respond to his love for me. I want to learn more about this last part. I know it's the truth. I know it happened. But oh, when he says, I love you with an everlasting love, it draws my ear. <laughs> it gets me up close. I loved you with an everlasting love. I've loved you even though natural people can't love. I love you. I demonstrated. I laid down my life for ransom for you. I brought you into the family. I made you an heir. An heir of God and a joint heir with Jesus Christ. He's the priest. We're priests. He's the king, we're kings, kings and priests. That they may know that you have loved me and that you love them just as much as you love me. That's 
I have 